All right, all right. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining today's show. What do we got on tap for today? Our guests, yes, we have guests. Our guests have been working with a variety of development teams from organizations that span uh, big to small, private to public, government agencies and so forth. But they continue to notice this disturbing trend. And, and that's my word, disturbing, but we'll see if you agree with it. And it, that is that despite overwhelming evidence that security threats are, are getting more expensive, they're getting more common. We see stuff in the news on way too regular of a basis. And as anybody that knows anything knows, those are the only ones that are, the ones that are public are just scratching the surface. There's so much more going on. And so many teams they are seeing are still wasting money and creating risk with less than ideal code practices. Obviously security is the missing element here, but oddly enough, they both maintain that DevSecOps, our title for today, should not exist. Does that make any sense? We'll find out. Welcome to Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. My name is Rob Boyd. Let's see what this is all about, shall we? Well, gentlemen, welcome to Tech 37. So glad you both could take the time to do this uh, with us. Hope you're feeling well. Thank yes? you. Yeah, 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 good. Your mics are open. This is going to be free for all. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's start with some introductions, if we could, for just a moment. We'll start immediately to my side here. Uh, both of you are from Worldwide Technology, but you have different roles. Uh, Dana, do you mind kicking us off with what, are, what do you do? What are you responsible for? Anything else we should know about your background? Yeah, so Dana Kalir, I am a DevOps technical solutions architect. Um, so basically, I am a technical conduit between all of our sales organizations, uh, our services arms, and uh, any of our partners that happen to reside in this space. Okay. All right. And I got a question for you in just a moment, but we'll hold okay. back for a second. <laughs> Carl, you actually uh, I, look, you look more groomed today than I remember. And, uh, and I appreciate that because I know that means that you probably got up earlier or something. I'm just making fun because we've been talking about, all of us have been talking about our COVID hairdos uh, and yes. such. But Carl, what do you do for worldwide technology and, and, and why are you here? Uh, so I, uh, I lead our application security practice. Um, you know, we're a small team. Uh, we generally provide direct support to customers in the AppSec space. And then, of course, you know, development teams for uh, all sorts of clients. Okay. And you said specifically in the security space, yes? Yes. Okay. So you've got security opinions. Is that safe to say? <laughs> yeah, strong opinions. Weekly help. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing I love better than security people with opinions. Uh, not that those are in short supply in that crowd. Um well, let's start with this. So I tease this obviously a little bit at the top for, for both of you, but Dana, you're the one that had brought it up to me originally. And it was just kind of this thought that uh, the way I worded it was that DevSecOps should not exist. I wonder if you could, ex could we kick us off by expanding on what you mean by that and how, how would you characterize it? Yeah, so basically the, the overarching theme uh, for today's, today's conversation and, and really how we kind of approach this with customers holistically is that um, you're not really doing DevOps right unless you're focusing on security throughout, right? So okay. take it from a, a psychological perspective, <laughs> you know, uh, that DevOps is, is kind of a, a lot of those cultural aspects, right? So we're going we're gonna to talk about the human brain. Um, if you have a, a separate term, DevSecOps, or something along those lines, you, you give it a different word, a different thing, a different label, a lot of times people will set those things aside. Right. So they'll say, oh, that's that's this thing. I'll, I'll mentally set it aside and I'll worry about it later. Um, and security is not one of those things you can do that. Um, it's one of those things that 
uh, all portions of a, of a technology organization. And in most cases, all companies are technology companies, right? Um, they're all responsible for getting apps and data to customers, right? It's the developers, it's the operations teams, it's the monitoring teams, it's everything. Every, every one of those people is responsible for getting apps and data to customers. Uh, and therefore, every single one of those people uh, and those organizations and those departments are responsible for, in some way or another, securing those applications. So security is, is distributed throughout. It's not a separate thing. You can't set it aside. Let me try uh, so a silly reference. Oh, go, yeah. sorry. I, I was going to say, therefore, it's, it, it's not something you can set aside. It's not its own separate thing. It's, it is DevOps. Gotcha. I, and, and I encourage you guys to interrupt me as well. Uh, you took breath, and that's always my brain signals me. He's breathing. Jump in. Um, but the, so if I was to make, I, I was trying to think of a, a silly way to put this, but it almost sounds like, so you say it's, it's, it's silly to call out security as part of DevOps because it really should not be a separate discipline. It really mm -hmm. needs to be part and parcel to where you don't think of it uniquely. And by giving it a name, you tend to think of it separately, almost in the same way, because I hear people go, well, and I'm going to make this one up, but digital DevOps, as, as if DevOps you know, could somehow be uh, analog. <laughs> it's awfully redundant, right? And so, yep. and I'm curious, Carl, so from the security perspective, part of me also says, well, I think this is obviously, I think this is it because I had a little bit of security in my background and, and so I'm very pro-security as if that's a vote that someone would be um, against. But the, um, I feel like that's, that's, that's kind of been both a goal to make security so integral to everything and, and an uphill battle for years, but how unique is uh, or important is it to maybe embrace this concept of not thinking about it in such a distinct way for DevOps versus maybe other forms of security that, that others might play in? I know you're DevOps oriented, but what are your, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, we like to think about security from a, um, uh, you know, fairly high altitude and, um, you know, really take a holistic approach to, to things. Right. So, um, we live in the application space, right? So custom software development. Um, and for us, you know, security really needs to start at the ideation phase, right, of, of the development of an application, right? So, so when you're thinking about what's the app going to do um, for people, um, what are the security features of that app, right? How do people log in? How do you manage access controls and entitlements and all that good stuff? And then that, you know, flows through as the app's been built um, to controls, um, code quality, um, you know, all of that, that stuff. Yeah. So it, it's really the the whole picture, right? Um, we also like to think about in, in, you know, the age of supply chain, not only developing secure apps, but developing apps securely. Um, and so, you know, you, you have to, to really take all of the traditional, you know, infosec based practices and apply that to your development ecosystems. Because, you know, again, if I can inject source code into your build rig, I don't need root. Yeah. It, it seems like we're seeing more of that now in the type of attacks, uh, and, and I count on you to correct me if I'm not getting this wrong, but what, you know, with solar winds and with some others that have come up, these supply side uh, type things where it's really something has gotten into uh, the code base in a much earlier basis to where they don't have to break in. Uh, is that a sign of things to come? Is it we're going to the new whole new classes of vulnerabilities maybe we didn't think about as much before? Um, I think so. I mean, you know, we, we see it in, in some language ecosystems even and, and uh, you know, the open source community is extensive these days. Nobody writes code from the ground up. Um, we're all dependent upon, you know, other contributors, other libraries that are, are you know, in some cases not curated so well. Um, 
you know, there was a, an instance in the node ecosystem when, when that, you know, culture or, or community was first kind of getting off the ground, um, where, uh, you know, hypothetically, um, somebody built a log beautifier, right? Make all your logs colorful. So that it's easy to read, easy to see. Is that what that is? I wasn't but, sure what that. Yeah. yeah. But they, uh, they log included, you. a. Yeah. Yeah, they, they included a couple of routines that looked for words like password and credit card and social security and stuff like so that. So there's and, some rabbit, so some right. bonuses in that code. Okay. Right, exactly. Oh, I got Easter it. So I downloaded it to make it look, <laughs> Easter eggs, that was the word I was looking for. So the idea is I, I, I like of age of old, I downloaded it for one set of features, but it's got some additional ones that, that maybe aren't suited for me uh, as much as the developer um, mm-hmm. who wanted me to download it. But I, they needed to get it on my system. And so the, the pretty colors in my logs, uh, and eliminating carriage returns suddenly made that easier. Um, yep. Dana, I'm, you guys work, uh, th- one reason I always enjoy talking to you guys is because you work with, a, and I tease this at the top as well, but a cross-section of customers, um, big and small, different industries and things like this. And you were telling me that this is very consistent uh, across the board. These are very fundamental type of actions. But I want to make sure we paint the picture of what, what does a, a good development environment look like in your mind? Where, because I assume you see people starting off at many different levels. Most seem to be falling short or they probably wouldn't be coming to you this much. But, uh-huh. it, but what does it look like? What are you trying to get them to? Is there a way we could paint a picture of, of where these, what these models should look like? Yeah, and there's, we kind of alluded to it earlier, and that is how are we integrating security into each of the various different phases? So Carl mentioned there's kind of a planning phase, right? And then there's the development phases. You've got uh, the the build phase, the testing phase, release, deploy, all these different phases that are associated with getting apps and data into production. And really what is what it looks like for each one of those individual phases is how, how that team is going to contribute towards uh, writing secure code as opposed to defending deployed applications, right? Mm-hmm. Both are necessary when we're talking about, um, you know, running uh, secure applications in production, right? So from a development standpoint, um, it could be something as simple as, um, you know, Carl mentioned, nobody writes tooling or software from the ground up anymore. You know, you, you include, you bring software in from open source, uh, you know, uh, repositories and things along those lines. And so it could be something as simple as ensuring that your developers are only utilizing um, known repositories that don't have, you know, open CVs or things like, things like that. And you can do that as a part of a testing phase. There's even tooling that will, um, integrate into development IDEs, right? So as a developer is literally writing code, uh, they can get notified of certain types of security vulnerabilities, known security vulnerabilities uh, as they're writing uh, their, their code, right? So that's yeah. that. there's just really interesting ways to, to shift that security all the way as far left as you possibly can. And I think one of the biggest things um, from that side of the picture is, is really around people thinking that they don't, they, or they, they don't or they can't contribute towards security. So I think one of the biggest things is planning, right? Your agile coaches, your product owners, your things along those lines. You can you can design a piece of software, you know, how users interact with it to be more secure by nature. Um, and that, that doesn't happen when it gets to the developers. That happens much before that, right? And so it, it's really about making sure that everybody in the room understands that it goes all the way from idea, you know, concept to the actual customer, every single one of those phases is going to involve security in some form or fashion and just making sure that everyone is contributing towards that. And one final point, you mentioned earlier that you may not have, you know, a centralized security team um, Mm -hmm. or it's not the separate thing. 
you still can have a security practice for lack of a better description, but it's really more about everyone coming together as that. So maybe more like a center of excellence, I hesitate to call it that, but some sort of says center of excellence where everybody's coming together to agree that this is our security posture. Right. And then everyone puts a card on the table and says, this is how I'm going to contribute towards achieving that outcome. Right. From a security mm -hmm. standpoint. So that's really what it's all about. It's, it's that everyone needs to be involved in that. And then when they go back to their own independent you know, organizations, their own desk, they can sit down and be like, all right, what am I going to be doing to contribute towards security? That's, that's the, it's, that's all it's, it's equally a mindset as it is a, you know, course of action. Yeah. So it's organizational that now, Carl, this is a softball to a certain extent, but as Dana's saying all this, I think that sounds expensive. Um, you know, in a couple of angles here, because I have a feeling I know how you're going to respond to where do you spend your money. But the uh, I, I'm also curious. We talked a little bit about this previously, but this notion of re reward systems and and things, because I feel like if uh, uh, it, what Dana's saying is something that really has to be organizational, individual developers, as well-meaning as they can be, are going to probably run up against a wall of I'm not turning out uh, code as fast as my peers and I'm getting in trouble for this if I work in an environment that's not rewarding the quality of what I'm writing. Um, but writing code, and I'm just assuming that writing secure code takes longer than just writing code, um, if I can make that overall stereotypical type comment. What, what are your thoughts on that, Carl? Am I thinking of this right uh, at all? What's important to understand there? Um, so, so, you know, when you're, you're in it, right, banging on the keyboard, I'm not convinced that it takes longer to write secure code, right? You know, okay. line by line, block by block. Um, I think, you know, from an organizational level, the investment comes in, um, you know, tooling, taking the time to set up your your um, deployment pipelines and CICD rigs and your, your testing infrastructure correctly to include, um, you know, security tests from composition analysis, static analysis, dynamic analysis, right? All, all the way through your, your deployment pipeline. Um, I think the organizational investment comes in, um, you know, training for your developers, how to write secure code. Are they even aware of the OWASP top 10, right? And how that manifests in source code artifacts. So I, I think that's where the organization needs to invest. It, it's not so much the, you know, it slows the developers down in the moment. Um, but, you know, back to one of the things Dana was saying earlier about, security for an app begins in the kind of planning and ideation portion, right? So yeah. there's some investment and time spent there. Um, you know, I would generally say that, uh, uh, you know, you, you can either invest in it early, right? As this a risk mitigation strategy, yeah. right? Uh -huh. Or you can pay for it later when you're cleaning up the mess with a bucket right. and a sponge. So there's an interesting, interesting thought <laughs> process there, right? Yeah. So I like Legos. You can see the, the Legos above my head here, right? So I'm going to use Legos as an analogy. So, so let's say you're a developer, okay. right? And you are writing a thing. You've gotten a card that says you have to write a piece of software that does this. Or in this particular instance, you have to build a, a ship okay. that, that looks like Let's call it. Let's call it an X-wing or, or or Tie Fighter in this instance right here, right? Um, and the stand is something that already existed. Somebody already made a a stand out there. There's a design out there, and that way you don't have to do that, right? So I'm going to include that in my software, right? You may not know that that stand has a weight limit, right? Or in in this particular analogy, maybe it has a security vulnerability, and you may not know that. Right. But you go through and you design your entire TIE fighter around sitting on top of that stand, 
you spend all that time and all that energy designing the solution, right? And then you you finish it. It's done. It works. It tests out. And then you push that to production. And then a security guy comes back to you later and says, hey, that stand is vulnerable. You got to redo the whole thing. Yeah. Now think about it from a developer standpoint. You're going to be frustrated. So to your point earlier, it takes longer to write secure code. I would argue that it doesn't. If you yeah. knew that stand had a vulnerability before you actually decided to use it, you wouldn't have gone through all the work to, to design a system or a, a TIE fighter around that specific stand, right? So I would argue that it prevents writing code that you're going to have to rewrite later. So it's, it's, it's kind of a backwards way of thinking about it, but that's, or it's exactly that's the right way to think about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I prevent people from uh, tripping over the thing that they're going to trip over later uh, and, 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 and do it as far in advance as possible. Right prevent the, the rework that might happen at a later point in time. Well, you remind so I don't me, know if a legal analogy worked there, but that's, that's my point. It's hard for me to go through a show without whipping out some old axiom that I always credit to my dad and I'm not entirely sure, it was, <laughs> but it was, but this notion of measure twice, cut once, um, oh, yeah. kind of comes up there. But uh, to get more specific, you, you guys have mentioned, and I wrote down, cause you said, find out if you even know what OWASP top 10 is. And I'm like, I don't know what OWASP top 10 is. Um, so maybe that in the next answer, but, I'm not a developer, um, but the notion, but the idea that it sounds like what you're saying is what I'm getting out of this is that this is an organizational thing. It feels like it's not something that a couple of mavericks in the group are necessarily going to get real fired up to do this. And that'd be great. And I'm, I, I'm sure there's quite a few and probably good stories around people that have done that. But in general, you need an organization, a top down decision to say this is important to us because it's really um, to, to Carl's point, we're developing, we're at the, the nucleus of, of what's important to our organization because we're developing the apps that we're either selling or that we run on or that we depend on for operations. And when those things don't go right, it's super expensive to go back and do it. It's much less expensive to do it right from the get-go. Um, but to build an organization that does that, are you saying also that there are tools that exist at the different phases that you say are important uh, to be able to... Um, put in the checks and balances to do this thing as you go forward. And I'll throw that out to either of you that want to respond and both of you can. Who's first? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Yes. Man. That is the Yeah. Yeah. You just, just write that down as a yes. I, I, I tend to try to approach it from the perspective of try not to start with tooling in, oh, in, okay. any, in okay. any conversation. Right. Um, you know, if, if the cultural mindset is we're all going to be contributing towards this together, um, some people may come back and be like, I, I don't know how to contribute towards security in my day-to-day -day operations, right? Yeah. And so it could be a tool, right? Uh, in, in the case of, of developers writing secure code, um, they may have some tribal knowledge or previous experience that they, you know, they put into how they structure their classes or, or the types of uh, you know, the types of uh, queries they run on databases or whatever, you know, so things along those lines, but there are, are also tools that you can, like I said earlier, you could integrate into their IDEs. That's just a, it's a really good example. Right. Um, and then just making sure that some form or fashion of all those different types of security, uh, concepts or security checklists are compensated for by various different people. It could be a process, but it could also be a tool. Yeah, Carl, it, I was going to ask you about what came to mind is like, if you look around, you can't find the tool, you are the tool. Um, but the, and I can't say how deep that is. There's so many angles to that. Um, but, but the, so the notion you build these systems, so it sounds like it's also possible because what I'm, what I'm hearing you say there too, Dana, is that these tools, when you integrate like into the IDE process and such, 
are you encouraging the notion of, and here I go back to tools, it's a bad habit, but, but the tools that, um, the idea of developing workflows where, because I feel like there needs to be a balance between saying, I need you to be a secure developer and know what that means. And that's going to be important. We want to hire you because of those skill sets and, and the way in which you think. But at the same time, we're going to have you working in an organization that, um, that has surrounded you with some guardrails to try and catch things early organizationally and such. We can't depend a hundred percent on that. It sounds like, but okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, uh, my, my wife is a pharmacist. Okay. Sweet. Um, uh, so I'm going to use I'm going to use this analogy here. When, when people ask me what, uh, no, <laughs> when people ask me what my wife does, I will jokingly say she, she prevents doctors from killing people. Oh, right. That wasn't where I thought you okay. were going. Okay. And, and the more, the more in-depth explanation there is that doctors just don't have the time yeah. to get to know, and especially in a hospital, every single patient that they interact with. So the pharmacist is that check and balance, right? Good they do the follow-up with the patient to say, Hey, what meds are you already on? And, and does that conflict with anything we're giving you in the hospital so that we don't injure you? Right. right. So the pharmacist that is that check and balance, same thing exists here. You can ask a developer to write secure code and even provide them with the tooling necessary to do so, but things will slip past them. You know, they're humans after all. Right. So the thing, a process that falls down from them in the line could be the testing phase, right? How can we integrate security testing into the, into the actual delivery pipeline so that Oh, those open source libraries that may have vulnerabilities in them don't get past the pipeline and in, 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 into production, right? It's still a check and balance. So it's, yeah. it's, and that's why it's cultural, right? We don't want to get into a situation where people are like, feel like they're being looked over their shoulders or, um, you know, being micromanaged or anything along those lines. That's not it at all. We want to all equally contribute towards making sure that once, once this is in customers' hands, we aren't vulnerable as best we can with, with the highest amount of confidence. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I think too, like uh, a, a big piece of that is um, really reducing the cognitive load on developers, right? So if you think about yes. what they do, right, and that that craftsman aspect of, of, you know, creating software, creating a thing from nothing, right? There's there's a science to it, but there's also a fair amount of art. And, you know, as, as systems get more and more complex, just the, the mental model that, you know, any individual on a development team needs to keep in their head at any one time is just a lot, right? It's yeah. a lot that they have to be aware of. And so even things like, um, you know, my favorite tool, because it's just low hanging fruit is uh, software composition analysis, right? Um, it really reduces the workload on the development team. So they don't have to go search the MITRE vulnerability databases. They don't have to go search NIST, right? There's a tool that'll just automatically go and look at their applications, bill of materials and imports and provide them a report that says, Hey, this version of this thing has this vulnerability. You probably want to update it. Um, yeah. you know, another good one that is not tool oriented just to kind of get us off that track for a second is, um, you know, things like a formal entitlement model, right? And it's just a little spreadsheet, two dimensional thing with all the system functions along one axis and all the personas, if you will, right, um, for an application along another with a bunch of X's in the boxes that says, you know, an anonymous unauthenticated user can do this. They can see the splash screen and they can enter credential and push the login button all the way up to, you know, super admin that can do all of the things and see all the stuff. But even a simple artifact like that reduces the load that an individual developer needs to have in their head as tribal knowledge because they can just go look it up. Yeah. So... 
It's funny. I, I love that you brought up that because there was another term you brought up in our pre-call. But I like you said, reduce cognitive load because that's I'm a big fan of, of things like that as a person who's cognitively challenged. Um, I'm always looking for ways to do that. And so I, I love that you brought that up. There's another one that you brought up previously, which I loved. And this gets into, I think I'd ask you guys a question previously about reward systems and what is in place to be able to reward the behavior that you want repeated uh, in this space. And you mentioned, uh, you know, getting hits of oxytocin. <laughs> and uh, I think we've both been through a lot of therapy. Um, not necessarily <laughs> together, but that may Facing still come. Yeah. Uh, Always an option. Yeah, I know. Some, it happens to a lot of my previous guests. Uh, we do end up having to discuss things. Um, but uh, yeah, Carl, can you talk a little bit about in a, in a, in a, is it reward, is rewarding behavior something that's conceivable for a, a well-run organization in this space? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, it's the carrot and the stick, right? Um, you know, people tend to respond much more um, reasonably um, and quickly to to positive reinforcements versus negative yeah. reinforcements. Um, so, yeah, you know, any anything you can do to to reward the kind of behavior you want, right? It's it's the make it easier for people to do the right thing than it is for them to do the wrong thing, um, and they generally will. Um, I guess a couple of my adages include things like you know. <laughs> Developers behave like water, right? They will always follow the path of least resistance. So make it easy yeah. for them to, to, to do what you want them to do. Mind like water. That's another one. Yeah, that's that's the whole blameless culture piece of it, right? That's that's why security and DevOps are are, are like this, right? They yeah. they they have to flow together. Um, and so like, like in order water. Wait. Yeah, it, yeah. It, if we're going to be realist about this, the system will break and you want to design a system that compensates yeah. for failure, right? Um, and so there will be vulnerabilities that go out there. Uh, and so the ability to react quickly and update those systems as quickly as possible is equally as important as trying to prevent them from going out there in the first place. Yeah, you're not. Uh, yeah, so, you're never finished. <laughs> you're always like it's yeah. different phases of that. Well, and, and new new vulnerabilities will be discovered. Right. Absolutely. So that's the whole solar winds thing. Nobody that had solar winds prior to that announcement could have prevented what happened. Yeah. Right. The software was already out there. The vulnerability was already in it, right? And so the, the, the people that it affected the most were the folks that couldn't get it out of their environment as fast as possible, right? Right. And that's not, arguably, that's not security. That's, that's doing DevOps right. And that is how do we pull a, a thing out and put a new thing in as quickly as possible? And that means you have the proper abstractions in place. The services are, are equally pointed in other directions. You know, other things along those lines and 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 having a, a delivery pipeline that enables that software to be pushed those updates to be pushed quickly um, so that's that's all security yeah and another big another big topic yeah and that's one thing i like about security people it, i remember early on learning that these are people uh and i liked this once i realized it because it made understanding uh them a lot easier was that they're always looking at how things break and 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 a lot of that involves thinking like a criminal, thinking like, well, how could I break this? And then and then also understanding what are all the cascading things that happen that when something breaks, um, you know, how brittle is it? And so what does it affect when it breaks? And what's the, you know, idea that was a recovery? And obviously what's the prevention? Uh, but you still got to think of both sides of that coin. Um, I want to talk, as we, as we speed up here towards the end, I want to talk a little bit about migration. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but... Um, as you guys are dealing at, at different levels and the you represent much bigger organizations behind you that have a variety of services, but I would assume that customers come to you, one, 
question. I'll make it a two-part question. Do they know that they're insecure? Um, do they come to you and say, I, we think we're doing a good job, but we'd like for you to help us understand whether or not we are, and if not, help us you know, uh, mitigate that gap? And or, you know, what is a what is a change like in, in most situations, if you can even generalize it, of of becoming a secure organization that doesn't think about security and DevOps as distinct disciplines, but does think of them in the way that you think is ideal? What does it take to get there if when I'm an up and running operation, maybe doing some of that, but not as well? I, please feel free to pick any question you want out of that mix. <laughs> uh I'll start with one. Um, okay. So the short answer to the to the first question is: Do our customers come to us in any of those different scenarios? The the answer is yes. Uh, every one of our customers is is on this DevOps journey somewhere, even if it's super immature. Uh, and others may think they're super mature and they're actually not. So it just it just depends on where where in that journey they are. So um, I think one of the one of the most impactful ways to help customers from a security standpoint is to take an existing process and embed security into it. Um, so uh, I worked with a customer a couple of months back where they already had delivery pipelines in place. Um, and we just entered uh, OSCAP and, and SCAP scanning into those, those pipelines that were delivering code into their production environments, just as a way to say, it wasn't gonna stop anything. We're not trying right. to prevent code from going to production, just to show them that you, A, you can embed this stuff into a pipeline uh, and B, you can see what vulnerabilities are making its way past your pipeline and into production. And that was a real, a real eye-opening experience for, for them. Those reports tend to be extensive, right? You know, they're going to have 50, sometimes 100, 200 known vulnerabilities in them. And then they may just be like, oh, my God, we need to stop everything. So, you know, got to take all that stuff with, uh, with uh, you know. So funny to open approach, the page, right? You're like, you felt <laughs> yeah. just fine five yeah, minutes ago. Thing up. Yeah. Oh, crap, I'm just going to close that window again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that, I mean, I, I think if, if there's an existing process into which we can we can open some eyes, I, that would be the most impactful, right? It's just, and, and, and ideally, it's something that's easy to do. Uh, another way would be like, uh, if you've got a, a security software tooling set that you can integrate into the development uh, tool chain. You know any of the any of the tools that the developers are using day in and day out, uh, and just literally just open their eyes to the yeah. things that they're working on that may be insecure. Again, not trying to prevent them from doing anything or slowing them down. Just just open their eyes a little bit. Um, that tends to be the most impactful. And then once you have that their attention, right, then we can start figuring out how we're going to start mitigating and solving some of those problems. So that would be my example. What, what Carl, Carl, what do you think? Um, well, I mean, you know, everybody is vulnerable to one degree or another, right? So security as a, a practice, as an industry is on the whole a, you know, risk management thing. Yeah. And so there's a, a cost benefit to it, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I tend to think of security as a, a sort of independent dimension, right, for a, a uh, organization's maturity. So much like Dana mentioned, you know, you, you got to meet them where they're at, right? So companies are at various points on the DevOps journey. They're also, you know, at various points on the security journey. And, you know, we see a lot of large clients in highly regulated industries. Um, obviously there's a bunch of pressure there. So their security practices tend to be more mature. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just how it, it works. Was forced right? on them earlier. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's that's the stick, right? <laughs> it, it, it anyone takes that has all to go through an audit, anyone that has to go through an audit, typically will have some sort of group that's responsible for it. 
Yeah. So. And they're in therapy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> That's true. Well, well, and I was going to, let me see it and pop this up. I think, let's see if we can get this on the screen. As I was poking around, you guys always have a ton of different resources at www.com. Let me do my ad bit there. Um, and, and this is no exception. This is, well, I'll have you describe it. Dana, what are we looking at here? And then I'll ask you some questions. Yeah. So this is actually, this is actually an example of what I was literally just talking about. And so the idea is you take, you click on that picture there. We can blow that up there. We have an existing pipeline. You've got the, the build process. You've got uh, the planning pieces, the application pieces, the deployment pieces, all that kind of stuff. And what we're doing is in that testing phase, we're injecting a series of of tests, so, we, so you can see down there, we've got validation, secrets detection, SAS scanning, OSCAP scanning, CLIR, things along those lines. And so what we're doing is we're taking those tests and injecting them into a pipeline to show uh, how that how you actually in, inject those into a pipeline uh, and how they can be utilized to scan uh, a tool on its way to production. And this one is kind of funny because we chose an application we found on the internet. I think it's a Space Invader game, so ships and stuff and like things, but it's based on Java. Um, and oh, Java sure. is just is a really good example of uh, how easy it is to import security vulnerabilities. I'll just say that. Problem. Uh, so yeah. we were very confident that it will be riddled with with security problems, and we were very right. Um, so um, it's a really it's a good example of of how uh, how those pieces can be easily integrated into a pipeline, and then you know scan as an application makes its way to production. I can picture you with your old sandbox downloading and going, "Let's explode it. Let's see what it does." Yeah. Let's run it and let's just watch what, yeah. it, what it's trying to yeah. do. And we'll, we'll see all it. the vulnerabilities, all the it red thinks alarm. It's on a system. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what comes up. Well, t tell me about you. You also mentioned, you know, you were, and I, and I like this because this is a great reminder. You guys are not, um, yes, you sell software and hardware and such like this, but you guys are actually extremely consultative in, in everything that you do. And so when you talk about the needing to give a more security oriented culture in combination with tools like this, you know, either deployed at the right time, or I know you've also had a lot of customers where you've helped them discover how to use tools they already had, no need to buy anything new. It's just, you're not using things maybe to the extent that they could be used. Um, but what, what is it, what's, what's the worldwide technology experience and capability to help me as a business understand uh, that combination of the of culture and the tools working together? Yeah, so there's kind of two different uh, things that we've experienced there. The first is people will own tools that they're not using. Right. Okay. So they, they, they got something out of an ELA and they didn't even know they had it, that type of thing. And there's, you know, there's hidden functionality or new features they didn't know that were there. Uh, we have entire groups uh, centered around uh, literally called adoption services, right? Figuring out how to, oh. to, to grow that functionality. Um, the other thing we'll see, especially in the DevOps space, and I, this probably will make Carl chuckle here, is that you'll have an instance where they have five or six tools to do the same thing. Um, oh. Or there's a significant amount of overlap. Uh, and so it's just figuring out what makes the most sense for what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and that, and that's kind of the nature of the beast here. And that's why it's really our prevailing re recommendation is to set the tools aside for a little bit and just answer the question, what it is that you're trying to do? Yeah. You know, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And the same goes for security. You know, there are, there are probably infinity ways, combinations of tools that you could utilize um, to, to solve a particular problem. And, but basically the idea is to start with the, with the business need and then back into a set of tools that makes sense. So you can yeah. see a ton of logos on this slide alone, um, with, with various different partners of worldwide, um, very, very important partners for us. Uh, and the fact is, the fact of the matter is you're always going to need tooling. 
um, especially in this space, because there's a high amount of automation that you can you can reap the benefits from. So tooling is going to be a part of the overall conversation. Sure. Um, it's just about making sure that you're utilizing it. But I but I love the, the point. At least as I'm getting out of this conversation too, though, is the point that the tools can't exist without a system and a I'm just using the culture term, but it, it all does play into it. It feels like because the tools so often, and this is why you guys do that kind of analysis, I guess, too, which is, is are you using your tools the way they should be used and, and getting your money's worth out of maybe previous investments? Um, yeah. Carl, I, I'm going to go to you for the last word. What's most important for us to remember? You know, this is a wide open as we wind up. we got two minutes uh, to hit our mark. But uh, What's most important to remember here as we come out of this conversation? And then Dana, if there is something really important that you need to say still, just let me know. But Carl? Um, I, you know, I, I think it's that, um, you know, kind of how we began, right? Security is everybody's concern. Um, you know, at this point, everybody is a technology company. Everybody is using information technology to achieve and sustain competitive advantage. Um, you know, digital tools are everywhere. It's how most of us are making money these days. True. And so, um, you know, uh, we all got to keep our eye on the ball. That's, yeah. but it strikes that's it. me that the, our very tools could be <laughs> opening up new vulnerabilities. So adding tools could also be a bad, yeah. a bad thing in that direction as well. Cause I, yeah, yeah there's a lot of tools out that claim I'm going to analyze your network for you. Oh, great. Um, just, can you please <laughs> open these things for me to make it easier? Sure. Whatever you need. Um, <laughs> but you also made me think, I'm gonna go for my last joke here. Um, Hairless cats is what I thought of because Dana's saying it, with security, there's so many different ways, you know, to approach a problem. Okay, maybe that's how we got hairless cats because it's got skin so many different ways, right? It oh. evolved. I don't know. Hey, <laughs> Wonderful folks, joke. Folks that's why that, they pay you the big bucks. Yeah. No, it's, I can't tell you how it all works. All I can do is just show you the output. It just does. <laughs> Dana, are we good? Do you feel like we got uh, the important points across here? Yeah, Carl hit it right on the head. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's full circle. You know, I, everyone needs to be contributing toward, towards security. If you feel like in your day in and day out job, um, you're not contributing towards security in some form or fashion, then that should raise a question, right? How yeah. can I contribute? And also like, uh, like when I was back in sales many years ago, uh, doing like my manager would do, can I get you to commit to a date, uh, that, that we will not be referring to security as a distinct discipline when it comes to DevOps? Go ahead. Date. That's yeah, never going to happen. Oh, okay. But yeah. it is the you'll, goal, you'll notice, and I understand what you're saying. That, uh, <laughs> I wrote, uh, we created that lab, and it, yeah. it has DevSecOps in the title. Yeah. Um, and and, we, and over, we're over here preaching that DevSecOps shouldn't exist. Oh. So, you know. There's no lack of irony with it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Got it. There's, no. there's Nirvana, and there's reality, Rob. Yeah. So. No, and I love it. And I like people that recognize that because that's just basically mm -hmm. the way the world works. Uh, yep. That's awesome. Guys, I always learned a ton working with you guys. Today was no exception. Appreciate both of you and the teams that you represent as well. And I encourage everybody watching, of course, to go to www.t.com. Check out that lab that we showed you. Check out the other labs. There could be some very critical links right here beneath the video if you're watching this live or in replay. Either way, all this stuff is made available to you. So you can go back and watch it. Uh, I encourage you to join the platform as well. You actually can friend like a little social network. Uh, but it's a social network with a lot of really smart people because uh, worldwide is full of them. And um, uh, you, when you get on that platform, not only you get access to the labs and such with there, but you can track your history a bit better. You can engage, ask questions, find out who else knows such and such. It's just a great way to interact and get more value out of your investments, especially when it comes to technology and making sure it's working for you um, as well. But guys, thank you so much. It's been Tech 37. My name is Rob. Appreciate you. We'll see you on the next Thanks, one. Rob. All right, guys, take it easy. Enjoy the rest of your day.